friends, you've now entered the Man Cave Podcast, unplugged and unfiltered. This is a podcast where the topics are mostly about sports, but sometimes we mix in some other items, like, is Bigfoot real? Who is the best Batman? You're guided through each episode by a man who's the man for his time and place, Dan Casper. So welcome to the Man Cave, and stick around for a while. You're going to like it here. Hey, what up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Podcast brought to you by Hy-V and Toyson Ford. Appreciate you checking out another episode of the Man Cave Podcast. I'm Dan Casper, as always. In this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, it's going to be a Dan Casper radio show instant replay because, well, been out for a few days, doing a little R&R, so we had a lot to catch up on on the on the radio program. So in case you missed any of it, we're going to do a little instant replay on this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. We're going to talk a little uh, Packers-Jets. Uh, we're going to do a little back to the drawing board. Kind of focusing, most I shouldn't say kind of, but mostly focusing on this uh, the, the man coverage that the Packers offense is facing and and why the Packers are, are struggling against it and, and how they can combat that, how they can combat that. So got some Packers chat on there. We're going to talk some Bucks. My five biggest questions for the Milwaukee Bucks as they begin their season. And then a little Grind My Gears Tuesday and a little Start Bench Cut. I should say Bench Start Cut. Cut Start Bench. Bench Cut. Bench Start Cut. There we go. All right. So let's just jump into it right away. Enjoy this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Looking back at this thing. You know, and I don't want to take anything away from, from from the Jets because I think the Jets have proven that they were a better team than what we've been giving them credit for at the beginning of the year. They're, they've got a bunch of young talent to be excited about. They've got a swag about them. They've got a confidence about them. They're they're very well coached. So if you are a Jets fan, heck, if you're a New York fan with the with Jets and Giants, you you should be happy right now. So I don't want to take anything away from these last, you know, couple weeks of Giants and Jets. They're they're proven to be decent teams, pretty good teams so far at the at the beginning of this season. Green Bay has not proven to be a good team so far this season. But my biggest grind my gear is that looking at this offensive line for for this Packers team it sure looks like this was the first time, the very first time, this offensive line looked like they had ever seen defensive linemen do some stunts. They just looked so confused. The communication was off. The execution was off. The level of play was poor. It was frustrating to watch that. And it was like, okay, First couple times, maybe. But it's like they would continue. The Jets would just continue to run these these stunts in this offensive line. It's like, okay, now we got a problem. Something's not working. And I know Royce Newman is getting the the the, the full blunt of it all, and, and Matt LaFleur called kind of called him out in, in his presser yesterday. Okay. It's about you know, Matt LaFleur has always said it's about your five best players when it comes to that offensive line. Your five best players. 
Can you sit there and say that Royce Newman is one of your five best offensive linemen right now? If you if you are, then we need to talk. It's time to switch some things up. It's time to put Elton Jenkins back at guard. It's time to put Yash over at right tackle. I know. Adam Stenovich said that Yash is a better left tackle than a right tackle. He said that in August. It's now October. At this point, put my five, put the five best out there. If that's Zach Tom, put Zach Tom in there. Royce Newman is not one of the five best offensive linemen right now. It starts there. Change it up. But my biggest grind in my gear was just sitting there watching. It looked like this was the first time, the very first time, this offensive line, this interior, I should the interior of this offensive line looked like they were going through, you know, saw stunts, defensive linemen. It, it was. I was like, what, "What's going on here?" And and did anybody else kind of when you're watching that game, kind of getting a halftime, you know, three three. But did you have a flashback? Anybody who's seen the movie Waterboy, you know, Coach Klein, Henry Winkler, sitting at halftime in the locker, kind of peeks his head out and says, "Anybody got any ideas?" And that just kind of kept going through my mind. I'm like, "That's that. That's what I feel like right now." Like, anybody got any ideas? And I said, you know, a couple weeks ago that I agreed with with Dan Orlovsky from ESPN, who said, you know, this offense kind of turning up. It's it's ticking up. The arrows, you know, and I, and I said, I think it's just slightly. It's just slightly up. Not full up, you know, 90 degrees, but just slightly. Poo, kiss of death. Last couple weeks has been poo. And it's it. I feel like it's the same frustrations that we're, we're having over and over and over again. Kind of referring to the running back situation with with Aaron Jones, and I'm getting tired of hearing the yeah, that's not good enough. You know, when when was it on uh, Sunday after the game or yesterday when when Matt Lafleur mentioned that. Or he was asked about Aaron Jones only getting three carries. Was it in the first half or first quarter or something like that? He's like, yeah, that's that's not good enough. We've been hearing that same thing all season. All season. It's like the boy who cried wolf. Okay? Doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work anymore. If it you said it the first time, correct it for the second time. All right, you said it two times now. Come on now, dude. Let's let's fix it, figure it out. But like the third time? <laughs> it's frustrating to hear the same excuses every single time. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's kind of like going back to... I hate to pick on the guy, but you know, back to Mike McCarthy when when Aaron Jones first got started in the league, and we remember it was a few years ago when he was like a rookie, him and Jamal Williams, and we're sitting. I was like, why don't you just? Why are we not giving Jones the ball more? Why are Why are we not running the ball more? I'm having flashbacks, and I don't want to have these flashbacks. They're not good flashbacks. 
And I'm trying not to like scream all panic or anything like that. It's just I'm more frustrated right now. And then it's, you know, wide receivers who, you know, was it uh, at the beginning of the season, quarterback 12, Aaron Rodgers, said that, uh, yeah, I hope teams play more single high safety and this, that, blah, blah, and, and, you know, take advantage of that. Well, the difference is that's great when you've got a receiver like Devontae or you've got multiple receivers that are, you know, Jordy Nelson is prime and Devontae and a younger Randall Cobb or, or you know, those guys. That's different. And and right now, Alan Lazard has proven to be the only reliable threat, but is Alan Lazard an all-pro, Pro Bowl type of wide receiver? I like Alan Lazard a lot. I like him a lot. But when he is your number one, well, teams are going to focus on him. We saw it a few times, man-to-man coverage, but maybe a little safety help over the top. Yeah, nobody else. Romeo Dobbs made, a, made a, that nice catch. I mean, that was a sweet catch holding on to that ball. But these guys are having struck Again, it's flashbacks. Remember to the Mike McCarthy era? We were talking about receivers not winning their, their one-on-ones. Now it's like these guys can't beat man coverage. And, and the frustrating part in this whole thing was supposed to be scheme guys open. Bring it in this offense. Scheme them open. And I know Aaron has always said he doesn't like motion. He doesn't like it when when receivers are, are put in motion. He'd rather kind of see what the defense is going to do based off his cadence at the line of scrimmage. But right now, when you guys aren't winning one-on-one, you got to scheme something. you got to get them open, stack them up. We'll break that down coming up in here in a little bit, but... Come on. It's just, I don't know. It's frustrating. And Aaron said after his his post-game, during his post-game press conference, he said, got to make things simple. Simple, simple. Matt LaFleur was asked about that yesterday. And while here's uh, the coach's response to his quarterback's, I guess, wish of, of making things more simple. And Man, were you yeah. uh, surprised to, to hear how much Aaron wants to simplify the offense yesterday? Uh, I don't know what that means. So, uh, no, we talked about it. It's just any time that there's a lack of execution, and certainly we got to coach better, no doubt about it. We've got to put our guys in better positions. Um, just communication from top down and then out on the field uh, you know, it's got to be better. We got to get everybody on the same page. And then, to me, it's it's more about digging at the details of what we're doing. All right. So I don't know what that means. Matt Lafleur says, "I don't know what that means by being more simple." Now, I don't think there's. Yeah, and I'm sure some people are. are you know, maybe in, in, in across the nation or whatever are probably going to be like, ooh, is there a discord now between coach and, and quarterback? We're going to bring that thing back up. And I don't think there is, but it just does seem like there's really some parts of this where not everybody's on the same page. And this is what happens when you're struggling, when your team is struggling. 
when you're three and three and you have those high expectations. You're, you're going to see, you're going to hear frustrations. We got frustrations for crying out loud. They're more frustrated within that building. They're more frustrated at 1265 Lombardi Avenue. I mean, you could see it on the look on Matt Lafleur's face on the sideline for crying out loud. You know, if I would, if I was there and I, and I happened to walk by Matt Lafleur, I would have like turned around and go the other way because that was a mean death stare that he had on his face. But I think there's just we're seeing some big time frustration amongst coaches, amongst players, because it ain't working how they thought it was supposed to be working out right now. I don't think there's any discord, any disagreement between quarterback and coach or anything like that. There's just a lot of frustration, and it's at getting to that boiling point. And here's the thing, too. This is probably within a season, but probably Matt LaFleur's first time as kind of going through some, some obstacles or, or you know, trying to really kind of, you know, going through, how do I want to phrase this, but um, adversity within the season. You know, obviously he went through some adversity in an offseason with his quarterback and whether he was going to show up or not. But within a season, I think it's safe to say this might be the first time Matt LaFleur has had to face in-season adversity. You know, that's the first time he's had a two-game losing streak for crying out loud. His first three years as an NFL head coach, he was setting records in the regular season. Now into his fourth year, he's suffered his first two-game losing streak. This is the only. This is the first time he's faced in-season adversity. So now, the spotlight's on the coach, or it's a little bit brighter, because we want to see how he bounces back. We want to see how this team bounces back. You got a game at Washington and it's followed up by a game at Buffalo. <laughs> it ain't gonna. And then you got at Detroit, and then Mike McCarthy comes back, and then you know you got Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans, and then you're at Philly. It, it ain't gonna get easier coming up here. Man, this is not. And then defensively, I liked how they came out and were physical and aggressive. Jair Alexander following Garrett Wilson around. Run defense still struggled, especially down at the at the end of the game. And it almost felt like, you know, after the blocked uh, punt return for a touchdown, it's like it just sucked the air out of everybody. Like, at, at that point, Green Bay was down by a touchdown. But after that, you know, going up two possessions, it just like it sucked everything out. And then you kind of just felt like, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're giving up now. You question the heart, question the the focus, but that's that point that that was that that point right there that turning point is like oh yeah, and then you could kind of see it at the end of the game. It was just the tackling. I had Lombardi in my head, watching some of that quote unquote tackling. You know, Lombardi's quote, nobody's tackling, just grabbing out there. Grab, grab, grab. That's what it felt like watching it at the end there. And credit to the Jets and credit to, to Matt LaFleur's brother, Mike LaFleur, who was offensive coordinator, got creative. You know, the offense was 
was kind of like the for for the Jets for the fir- first half, first couple quarters. But we talk about adjusting at the half. How many times have we talked about that after every game or every week? Adjustments. Give uh, the younger Lafleur credit. Got creative in a couple different ways for for the Jets to move the ball, and I get it. I understand. You know, some of their points were based off special teams. Seven points for a block punt, and then you know, short field with the AJ Dillon uh, fumble there. But they got it done, and I just feel like big plays have been such a detriment to this team that when you kind of go back even to to the Patriots game, or or you know the Giants. And then, then the Jets, these last three weeks, it's been big plays. Big big plays both when the defense allows it, but also the lack of big plays from, from Green Bay's offense. That's been a big thing. Now, we're three the, the Packers are three and three. Is this thing, you know, some people are already ready to throw in the dang towel. Um I'm not ready to throw in the towel. I'm not ready to throw in the towel again. It's three and three. Is it ideal? No. Is it going to get any easier? Hell no. But we're we're three and three, and you can go through the examples. I mean, remember last year, Cincinnati at one point was seven and six. They made the Super Bowl. Buffalo was seven and six. They were maybe a play away from going to the AFC Championship game in that uh, thriller with the Chiefs. Then everybody's favorite, the 2010 Packers also started three and three. Remember the Buccaneers were the year they won the Super Bowl. At one point, they were seven and five, and people were like, "Are they going to make the playoffs?" Yeah, maybe, maybe to kind of really spin this thing, it's like, "Well, look at the last couple of years when Green Bay started off hot in the regular season, and then when it gets to the postseason, like, bleh. you can spin it this way. All right, start off a little slow, and then get hot going into the postseason. All right." But I think the, the the thing is the 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 frustrating part of this whole thing is that it's confusing what's kind of going on. Like we feel like it's like, well, why are we not handing the ball off more? Why are we not, you know, allowing our corners? Why why did it take till game six to allow our corners to do this? Why can't we stop the run? What's going on, you know, with I thought we were going to be able to spread the ball around a little bit more with the passing game, and now we can't even, you know, get it to a wide receiver. The offensive line looks like that was the first time they've played. You know, it's like you're just sitting there scratching your head. It's like, what the heck is going on? And and it's simple. If they don't start simply playing better and doing their job, they ain't going anywhere. All sides. Players, coaches. You know, last couple of weeks we've been hearing the whole thing about it. Uh, you know, it's about eleven guys being on the same page. Well, to me, it's not just eleven guys playing on the same page. It's the entire organization, the entire team, being on the same page. Not just the eleven that's on the field. The entire team, players and coaches. And I think we could all agree, or the majority of us could all agree, that this team is clearly not playing up to its capabilities and they're making things more difficult on themselves and I, you know, last week 
I know Aaron said he embraces the high expectations. He likes it. But I don't want to hear any more about expectations, about how the expectations are higher for the Packers than any other team. Start playing like you deserve to have those high expectations now. I mean, because this is unacceptable. All's all's not over. I don't I I don't want to come off as like throw the towel in because I'm not there yet. We are we're only six games in, and I'm not gonna be there for a while. But there's obviously some things in these first six games that have popped up that you're like, okay. There's stuff that needs to be fixed. Do they have time to fix some of that stuff? Because I don't you know, I don't think it's like earth shattering how crap throw everything away throw the season away start it for next year I don't think they're there but there's obviously some things that have popped up or that we have seen that's like yeesh. yeah this this has got to get fixed or this is going to be a long season or not even into the postseason and isn't it kind of weird when you look at the NFC and this is you know, for all the preseason picks and and all those preseason expectations, and kind of like, oh yeah, that's that's a lock. That team's a lock to get in there. You know, outside of like Buffalo, maybe, and maybe a couple other teams. But I mean, you look at the standings in the NFC. Number one is the only undefeated team is Philly. Number two is Minnesota. You look at the the Buccaneers, and you look at the Packers, and you look at the Ravens. And you look at the Rams. All teams, three losses. Just like everybody predicted. And you got the Jets and you got the Giants with better records than those teams. Just proves that, you know, we can speculate and we can talk about it, but we don't know how the heck anything's going to play out until they actually go out on that field and play the darn game. At Toys and Ford, they're proud to serve the drivers of Chippewa Falls with some of the most popular vehicles around Wisconsin and the country. They're committed to giving drivers from across the Eau Claire, Bloomer, and Elk Mound region the best in customer service with a top-notch selection of brand new vehicles to choose from, as well as an extensive inventory of pre-owned crossover SUV and trucks. Plus, with their expert finance, service, and parts center in-house, they strive to be your one-stop dealer dealership for all of your automotive needs check them out today at toysandford.net let's uh let's uh switch gears here just for a little bit and talk some hoops switch it up buck season tips off thursday you'll be able to catch the games of course here on the radio dials of 105.1 fm and uh 790 am all season long but uh their season tips off thursday the nba technically tips off tonight with a couple of games but what are your biggest questions when it comes to this Bucks team heading into this season. I'm sure we got a few of them out there, but I've got five. So my five biggest questions for the Milwaukee Bucks heading into the season. Number one starts with health. And it starts off with Chris Middleton. Now he's expected to miss the first few weeks of the regular season, still recovering from that wrist surgery that he had in the offseason. But Chris Middleton, we saw the effect of with with you know how much it affected the team without him in the postseason against against the Celtics. We saw that, so 
he is definitely a big time key and a focal part of this team for a if for champion for for the Bucks to win a championship. So they got to make sure that when he's back, he's ready to go, because he is a big part of this team, and the Bucks are going to miss him in these first few weeks. You got Philadelphia, and then you go on the road right away against Houston, but then Brooklyn, and then you got the Neck uh, Knicks, Atlanta, Detroit. Detroit again, then you come home against Minnesota, OKC, Atlanta, OKC, San Antonio there. That's just the first couple weeks of the season. So maybe we should eye like a beginning of December type of return for uh, for Chris Middleton, maybe a little bit beforehand. But not only Middleton, but now Pat Connington too, because Pat Connington's going to miss a couple weeks here because he's got a right calf strength. So health to me is is the biggest question for the Bucks heading into the season, and it will be throughout the season. I mean, you know, Giannis, Giannis played a lot in the summer overseas with his national team. We all know about load management as much as it grinds people's gears about load management in the NBA. It's a thing, and I don't think it's going to be going away anytime soon. But health is definitely my number one biggest question for the Bucks heading into this season. Uh, with that, too, kind of feeds off that, but the rotation for this Bucks team, especially in the early goings, because I can't imagine the Bucks necessarily wanting Giannis to go out there and, and averaging you know, 43, 44 minutes a game right away, you know, especially with him playing in the summer. So what's the rotation going to look like when you also factor in that Chris Middleton's going to be missing some time, Pat Connington's going to be missing some time, what's that rotation going to look like? And who are the guys that are going to step up and, and really take advantage of those minutes? You know, you look at the backcourt, you got Drew Holiday as your starter, but then Javon Carter had a, a nice preseason, and he's been known to be a nice three point threat. Showed it a little bit last year. George Hill down here this year, last year. Can he step up and have one more year in him? Sergi Baca, is he going to be able to get out on the court? We know Bobby Portis is going to be probably the sixth man coming off the bench between him and Pat Connington when they're healthy. But then you got Joe Inglis, the, the newbie coming over. Can Jordan Nora get any minutes? What's this rotation going to look like, especially at the beginning of the year when you're trying not to give your guys like Drew Holiday and Giannis a lot of minutes and kind of easing them in or you know, you don't want to stress them right away too much. So I'm I'm curious to see how this rotation works, especially too, like in that two guard spot. You know, Grayson's the starter, but who can be that guy to come in after Wesley Matthews? We know he's more of a known for his defense, and once in a while he's been able to hit some big threes. And where is there going to be a some consistency with this rotation? Is there going to be some consistency with the bench? Because how many times have we seen it where, yeah, Grayson Allen's, you know, or uh, Grayson Allen's had a good game and then blah, nothing. Pat Connington, great game, and then pretty quiet. It's been up and down kind of a little bit. Are we going to see some consistency? Speaking of Grayson Allen, that's my next big question. Can he be the guy at that four spot? Or, or two spot, excuse me, the shooting guard. Can he be that guy? Can he be a three-point threat? a consistent three-point threat for this team. Last year, averaged 11, just a little over 11 points per game. 
And we really needed to see him step it up when Chris Middleton went down in the postseason. And we didn't see that. So can Grayson Allen, remember he signed a contract extension with the Bucks last year. Can he be that guy? Because when you look at this, uh, this the postseason that he had against uh, against Boston, game one, 11 points, and that was the only game that he scored double digits. The only game. I mean, Chicago, he had a decent series. Game 5, 13. Game 4, 27. Game 3, 22. But once it got to that Boston series, it was kind of non-existent. So Grayson Allen, to me, is the next big question because can he be kind of that fourth guy? Or you know, can he be that threat from the perimeter? And can he step up when his number is called? And three-point shooting, too. We've been hearing, you know, we're just talking about three-point shooting with, with Grayson Allen. But we've been hearing, you know, Carter's had a really good preseason with his three-point shooting. You know, they bring in uh, they bring in Joe to help out with the three-point shooting over from Utah. Are we going to see more three-point shooting from this Bucks team? Or are we going to see a high percentage in, in three-point shooting from this Bucks team? What What's it going to look like here, I guess, a little bit? If we look at last year, for uh, let's bring up a three-point percentage last year. So the Bucks overall were the third highest scoring team in the NBA. Only Minnesota and Memphis outscored them. Minnesota, 115.9. Memphis, 115.6. Milwaukee, 115.5. When you look at three-point shooting, the Bucks actually were in top five. They were 36.6. Miami was number one at 37.9. But when you look at the postseason, the Bucks were 11th. The Bucks' three-point shooting in the postseason dropped to a 32.7. 32.7. And you look at uh, their points per game, they were 13th in the postseason. Now, you can also say Chris Middleton effect. No Chris Middleton, scoring went down. Some of the three-point percentages went down. And, yeah, that's probably a, a factor in it. But I think the Bucks also want to see some more consistency coming from that from that three-point line. And then my other, my uh, fifth and final biggest question, I'm really curious to see what kind of defense the, the Bucks are going to play this year because for the, ever since Mike Boonholzer has been there, they have been a very good interior defensive team. And when you look at it, it's like, well, you know, you got Brooke Lopez and you got Giannis. That's a lot of height. That's a lot of wingspan down low. But if you remember the, the Boston series, Boston was having some success from the perimeter. And there was a lot of questions about the style of Bucks play. Should they switch it up? The switching on the picks and all that sort of stuff. And one of the Bucks assistant coaches a couple weeks ago, I forget I forget his name off the top of my head, but he might have accidentally let it slip that the Bucks have kind of changed up their, their defensive game plan for this year. And Mike Boonholzer kind of shot it down right away, so I don't know if he's trying to, you know, hide it and kind of catch people, you know, off guard there a little bit. But I think there's no doubt that the Bucks 
really have to focus on improving their perimeter defense this year. That's something that they have to look at. Because we look at this 2022-23 NBA season and just looking at the trend of, I mean, the way, you know, the the style that basketball is being played right now, it's a lot of perimeter shooting. It's a lot of outside shooting. And the Bucks last year were 19th in points allowed. 19th in points allowed. Number one was Boston. So Boston gave up just 104.5 points per game. The Bucks 112.1. When you look at uh, three-point percentage allowed, Boston was number one, Miami was number two, Golden State was number three, Dallas four, Phoenix five. Bucks were all the way down at 19, 35.6%. So if some of these rumors are, are kind of true out there, rumblings that the Bucks are going to be switching up their defense, I'll be kind of curious to see how that works, especially in the beginnings, as you know, the communication, the talking on the court. Anybody who's played like basketball, even like at the middle school level, what is what does your middle school coaches always say? Like in fifth, sixth, seventh grade, when you're on defense, talk. You know, talk, call out the picks, communicate. If the Bucks are switching up their defense a little bit, will there be a little bit of an adjustment period for the first couple weeks of the season? But I'll be curious to see if it is kind of different, and if it's going to be a good change or not. So again, to kind of recap, my biggest question marks or biggest questions heading into the season for the Bucks are health, especially with Chris Middleton, Pat Connington missing the start of the season, the rotation, how is that bench play going to work out, what is that rotation going to look like besides Bobby Portis and whenever Pat Connington gets healthy, you know, is Carter going to get more minutes than George Hill or is Boonholzer still going to kind of favor you know, George Hill as that backup point guard, even though Carter last year and in this preseason kind of showcased his three-point shot. Is Grayson Allen going to be a consistent player this year for the Bucs? Can he be a contributor, especially from the outside? Speaking of the outside, the three-point shooting, will we see the Bucks kind of shooting more from three? I know Giannis got a little bit better from three-pointers last year, but I think we're all still you know, kind of holding our breaths and crossing our fingers whenever Giannis does chuck up a three. And then, as we just got done talking about the defense, and if there is going to be a change in, in uh, defensive philosophy for, for this Bucks team. Are we going to see a little bit of a diff- different philosophy? We'll get to some bucks. Uh, we'll get to some more NBA picks. We're going to do that up tomorrow. I know we got two games tonight. Season, you've got a lot more games tomorrow. Bucks, of course, start on Thursday. So we'll do some season uh, predictions and such uh, tomorrow. So think about that for a little bit. And, uh, you know, do you, do you, are you picking the Bucks to, to go to the finals? A lot of people are. You look at that Eastern Conference, Boston, they went last year, but, you know, their head coach suspended for the whole year. Miami, Brooklyn, Philly, Chicago. Can anybody, is anybody else up there? 
Your tailgating headquarters is at Hy-Vee in Eau Claire. Their top-of-the-line meat department, which includes the Dan Good Burger, will make you the talk of your tailgate party. And the dips for snacking? Those are what will make you an MVP on game days. And you never have to worry about Hy-Vee not having what you need because their shelves and coolers are always stocked up with your favorite goods. Be the MVP of your tailgate party with the help from another MVP. That's Hy-Vee in Eau Claire, located at 2424 East Claremont Avenue. What's getting you upset these days? Is it Dan? Well, then keep it to yourself. If it's something else, then get it off your chest. It's Grind My Gears Tuesday. All right, Grind My Gears Tuesday. Mine was... If I had to narrow it down, it was the offensive line play from the Packers on Sunday. Offensive line looks like they didn't know what the heck a stunt was from the defensive lineman for crying out loud, especially the interior of the offensive line. It was just mind-boggling. So that's that's my grind, my gears pick. A couple of yours out there. Uh, Surveyor Sam, good morning, DK. You know what grinds my gears? Attitude. A wise man once said, attitude reflects leadership. Well, remember the Titans quote right there, right? And right now the leaders on the Packers are acting like a bunch of toddlers that aren't going to get that toy they wanted. Every time you look either at Lafleur, Rodgers, heck, even the defense, they just look like they give up way too fast. There's no animosity, no perseverance, and no fight. Perseverance, excuse me. No perseverance. Start acting like the junkyard dog you're supposed to be and not the house cat you currently are. Plenty of time to turn it around, but it must start now. Uh, Another one we had was uh, Drew from Eau Claire. It's grinding my gears that Rodgers spent all this time in the offseason being cryptic and wishy-washy about will I come back to Green Bay, will I play at all, and now we are paying him $150 million to play, 500 ball. I understand he's not the only guy on this team failing, but come on. We could have paid a guy 15 to $20 million a year and used the rest to help beef up the rest of the team and still be on track for an irrelevant season. Ooh, that's from Drew from Eau Claire. All right. rest of you, if you got any more, we got one more here from, uh, from Mark. Grind my gears. The Brewers gave up on the season as they did not think they could beat the Dodgers, Braves, or Mets in the playoffs and traded Hater for nothing. Now, the Padres and Phillies are playing for the National League with Hater getting three saves. Some good ones right there, so keep those on coming. All right, next up. Who are you sending to the bench? Who gets the start? And who's getting kicked to the curb? It's Bench Start Cut on the Dan Casper Show. Our Bench Start Cut question was Jets... Giants, Falcons. Looking at this season and for the next uh, year or two, whose stock would you rather have right now? The Jets, the Giants, or the Falcons? My picks, I am going to go with... I. You know what? I'm, I'm starting the Jets. I've been a big Robert Sala fan. I like the young talent that they've had. I, I mean, they had a boatload of first-round picks this past draft. Sauce Gardner. They got Brees Hall in the second round. They tried trading back into the first round, and it would have been their fourth first-round pick uh, if they would have been able to do it, and, but they were able to get Hall in the second round. I like the, the accumulation of young talent that this Jets team has. 
I'm a big fan of Robert Sala as head coach. So I'm starting the Jets in my bench start cut. I am this one was tough between the between the Giants and the Falcons. But I still think both teams have some question marks at their quarterback. But I'm going to bench the Giants. And the reason being is because I really like Brian Dable as, as head coach. I thought, you know, when the Chargers hired uh, Brandon Staley, I thought a, a home run hire would have been Brian Dable over there for, for the Chargers to pair him up with Justin Herbert. But it is what it is right now. I'm just a big fan of Brian Abel uh, as, as head coach. He's done a fantastic job this year. I think they still, you know, they're they're kind of playing with house money right now, the Giants are. But if, if they can figure out their long-term quarterback situation, maybe it is Daniel Jones. I don't know. Maybe it is. But the thing is, they're 5-1 and one right now with, with a roster that is like, huh? How are they doing that? Well, it's because of the coaching right now. So I'm giving the Giants a slight advantage. They still have some holes they got to figure out, but if they can fill those holes and they've got Brian Dable as head coach and what he's doing right now, I think their stock is really going to rise. And I'm cutting Atlanta. Arthur Smith, the head coach, has been doing a great job with Atlanta this year. They've been in every single game. They're three and three right now, but. And and you know what I like some of the I like Kyle Pitts I like Drake London. There's there's some young talent on there. They're going to get Calvin Ridley back next year, but I just he, I, I I like the the deciding factor to me in that whole thing was Brian Dable over Arthur Smith. So that's why I went with the Giants. So start Jets, bench Giant Giants, cut the Falcons. The rest of you you can make your picks, and uh, we'll get to those coming up a little bit later on. All right, let's do some. Uh, drawing board so back to the drawing board here people a lot of people kind of you know a lot of Packers fans out there saying or a lot of people covering the Packers what's wrong with this team pointing their fingers to different uh different areas of this ball club right well go back to the TV broadcast on Sunday and Greg Olson a couple times pointed out the Packers inability or or they're they're struggling against man coverage Packers offense Packers receivers Struggling against man coverage. Greg Olson pointed that out a couple times in in the broadcast. So I want to focus our attention on on that particular one right now. Man coverage. How do you defeat man coverage if you are an offense? Well, some of the stuff that I'm going to kind of go through, you'd be like, well, isn't what this offense is supposed to be doing to begin with? And you know what? You would be 100% correct for whatever reason. It's just either not working or they're not doing it enough or they're not doing it properly. But when you look at the Packers receivers' inability and the Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers' inability to go after man coverage and to have success against man coverage, one thing that they could do is, oh, I don't know, use your running backs in the passing game. Throw the football. Throw the football to the running backs. Create those mismatches. Put them in motion. Because you know what? Most times than not, they're going to be lined up with a linebacker. And yes, once in a while, that linebacker might have the advantage if they're a top-tier inside linebacker like a Fred Warner or anything like that. But get Aaron Jones the football. How many times do we have to be talking about it this year, six weeks in? Whether it's 
running the football? You know what? Play action is another way to to really kind of go after man coverage. You know, get that corner to bite a little bit. If you're having success running the football and you stick with running the football, guess what? Play action is going to open up things. Corners are going to bite a little bit. You're going to suck in that safety. So, you know, running backs, running backs, running backs. Throw the football to the running back. Hand the football off to a running back. (laughs) We talked about this at the beginning of the year. It's like we've seen it. But I think we want to see it more. We want to see it consistently, right? Um, use motion. And this is, I think we're going to start to hear more about this. If, if Green Bay struggles continue on offense, we might be hearing more about this. And it's starting to, to kind of fester out there right now. But this whole use of motion topic. During the Mike McCarthy era, they didn't motion. Aaron Rodgers has said multiple times he doesn't like motion. He would rather try to decipher what a defense is going to do based off his cadence. He he doesn't like doesn't doesn't like that motion. He he's kind of used the example of the Peyton Manning Colts teams. Well, that wasn't working towards the end of the Mike McCarthy era, and we're starting to see the the Shanahan going back a couple years ago the Shanahan style of offense of of motion. Wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, a lot of movement. And one way to help beat man coverage is to continue to move motion. Because you're moving pieces around, you're making the defense communicate, you're potentially creating some mismatches, you're making the defense do a bunch of switches on there. So you want to create that confusion with motion. You want to try to create those mismatches. You want to try to create, you know, you got to you want to make the defense kind of adjust to you. Use that motion a little bit more and effectively. And with that too, it's like okay, when you're looking at Green Bay specifically, let's stack some receivers. Now we've seen like the the wide receiver screens or the bubble screens, right? We we've seen those. And it's always kind of gets touchy. It's based off a timing thing, so those receivers who are blocking don't get called for pass interference. If they if they start their block too quick, you know they'll get flagged. But stack those receivers, create some confusion. You know how many times have we seen it with a team that they'll have like three receivers stacked to one side, and then when it's you know hot set go, it's kind of like a little confusion, traffic congestion right there. But you got a guy going in, you got a guy going long, you got a guy maybe kind of, you know, doing an out route. Kind of create some of that confusion with stacking the receivers. Making those guys, making those defensive corners, those cornerbacks, you know, trying to figure trying to figure some stuff out, or maybe you're kind of also setting uh inadvertent pick plays. You know what I mean? And and creating that wide receiver open. And kind of with that, too, is, you know, you can run some crossing routes. Green Bay, I mean, for crying out loud, Green Bay's defense should know how effective crossing routes can be, especially against the zone coverage there, too. But, I mean, you can run those crossing routes, whether it's a shallow cross or like a Y cross. And just getting the ball out quick, too, you know. Be content with six, eight-yard passes, six, eight-yard pickups. 
Because right now, if the Packers get into a third and long situation, third and nine, third and ten, third and eleven, anybody anybody willing to say that they've got confidence that they can pick it up? Because I don't right now. So if we're going to the drawing board, if one of the issues, and I know we can point to a bunch of different things, but one that's kind of piping up again here now is is the Packers wide receivers and the Packers quarterback not able to beat man coverage. Well, how do you do it? Well, get to what this offense was supposed to be built upon. Get what this offense is supposed to be doing to begin with. Utilizing the running backs. Utilizing motion. Stacking some wide receivers on there. Especially stacking the wide receivers since you don't have a guy like Devontae Adams who can win one-on-one instantly off the line of scrimmage. You know, Aaron said, got to be simple. But you know what? Okay, got to be simple, but you also got to be creative. Can't be just plain, old, simple route concepts and play calls. You also have to be creative in that. That's going to do it for this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Big thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. And a reminder, never miss an episode of the Man Cave Podcast by subscribing to the Man Cave Podcast. We're already on your favorite podcasting platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. And don't forget to give us a solid rating too. That way other people can find the Man Cave Podcast. Until next time, I'm Dan Casper, and we'll see you in the Man Cave.